Today, we are continuing in a series that we have been in now for nearly a month titled Forward, where we as a church are looking towards our future. We're looking forward and we're really asking ourselves this question of why do we exist? What's our purpose? What are we all about? In so many ways, these are church-defining, these are culture-defining moments as a church, particularly as we bring these two faith communities together, Venture Church and Grumlaw Church, as we become one church, two locations, one in Heartland, one in Grand Blanc. And so, man, if there was ever a series in particular, if you call this place your church home that you really shouldn't miss, this is it. Uh, Today, we're actually heading into part four of five, and so if you have missed any of those first three weeks of the series, I would really, really encourage you to head on over to grumlaw.com slash messages. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Uh, Today, and honestly, I don't normally do this, I'm going to actually tell you right here on the front end what it is that we're going to be talking about. In fact, some of you, because you are so stinking smart, you actually already know what that missing word was in that video that played right before I hopped up here. It's this magical five-letter word that is the, of the utmost importance in really any organization, any family, any company, any relationship, but I believe of particular importance in the local church. Maybe give me a drum roll, please. This word, of course, is trust. In fact, this is so important that we're sort of taking a detour in this series and dedicating an entire Sunday to talking about this. See, see, this series has, if you've been paying attention and tracking with us, it's been a lot of vision, a lot of why we exist as a church. So, so you've heard us talking and speaking about pursuing the spiritually disconnected, that, that we don't exist as a church to create a place for Christians to kind of hang out and feel better about ourselves. No, no instead we are laser focused on creating environments that you never hesitate inviting a friend, a family member, a coworker, or a neighbor into. We spoke last week about this church experience completely changing when you get off the sidelines and you begin to invest in what God has set in motion. That, that, that it's our desire, but more importantly, Jesus' desire that all of you make this move from attender to owner and, and you begin to actually serve in the local church. We've talked a whole lot about being known more for our sending capacity rather than our seating capacity, our our desire to see more churches like this get started all over North America. We've talked a bunch about why, frankly, we're we're bringing Venture Church and Grumlaw Church together. You get the idea. All of these are kind of this big picture, big vision, stake in the ground type moments as a church. And so, maybe it would seem odd that we would take an entire Sunday to just focus in right here on this one word. But we absolutely believe, particularly in the midst of so much change that's happening in our world, so much change in our nation, so much change right here in our church, that this one word has the ability to completely undo or make whole what lies ahead for all of us. Initially, I'll just be honest, I actually thought I would kind of like weasel this idea, weasel this behavior into another message. But the more I processed it, I thought, no, 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 this, this is big. If we're going to get this right as a church, we have to make sure that this behavior is ingrained into every single person who calls Grumlaw, who calls Venture their church home. If we're as a church going to be around for the long haul, if if my children and my children's children want to call Grumlaw, want to call Venture their church home, we cannot and we must not screw this up. Because see, there's this human tendency that comes so natural to every single person on the planet. 
Christian, not a Christian, white, black, young, old, Democrat, Republican. It is ingrained into every single one of us. And if we as followers of Jesus and people who are a part of this faith community, if we don't push back against this, we will not have an impact in this community. We will not have an impact in our world, and we certainly won't exist well into the future. Let me tell you a story so I can finally kind of get to what I've been alluding to here over these first couple of minutes. Uh, Several months ago, uh, me, uh, a videographer, and a couple of other staff members, we, we had gathered together uh, to, to film one of these Sunday online services. And it was like right about that point where we were going to start filming the message. We were going to start filming uh, the sermon. And one of the guys in the room, one of the staff members, he, he got a phone call. Uh, and he kind of held up the phone to show me who was calling him at the time. And it was kind of this moment where he was asking me, like, hey, do you want me to take this right now? Or, or would you prefer that I wait a little bit? And frankly, I, I could use a little bit more time to, to prep for the message. So I was like, you know, kind of gave him that head nod, go ahead and answer it. And, and so he answers the call, and as I'm kind of like looking over my notes, I'm, I'm starting to piece together like what the context of this conversation is. And, and I find myself starting to get a little bit defensive because based on the responses of the staff member, I can tell that the whole basis of this phone call was, was this person who attends the church was, was calling to complain uh, about a lot of the decisions that I had made during this COVID season, about a lot of the things that I had said from stage during my sermons. And so I'm trying to focus on my notes, but again, the whole time I'm kind of getting defensive. And it finally got to kind of that breaking moment where I wanted to leap across the room, grab the phone out of his hand and be like, do you realize that I can hear what it is that you're saying right now? But then, oh, what a moment this was. For nearly 10 minutes, no exaggeration, I laid witness to one of the most glorious moments of my 33-year-old life as this staff member courageously, confidently, in boldness, let this person have it. He wasn't a jerk, but he was stern. He was bold. He, he proceeded to defend the church. He, he proceeded to defend me and my leadership on issues and matters, honestly, that he wasn't even 100% informed on. In fact, several times during that conversation, that there, there were comments that were actually thrown out like this. I haven't had a conversation specifically about that with Shay, but I know Shay, and there's no chance that can be true. Hey, have any of you ever been a part of, of one of those moments? I mean, you, you don't even need to witness them firsthand like I did, but, but even just heard about it? Where, where, where maybe a boss is bad-mouthing you and you hear that another coworker took up for you, came to your defense and defended your honor because they know you? I mean, honestly, is there anything in the world that makes you feel better, that, that, that gives you and instills more confidence than when you know that there are people that have your back? You, when you know that there are people who are going to take up for you and maintain loyalty even if it costs them something? It's so powerful, isn't it? But, but it certainly isn't easy. And it definitely does not come natural to a single one of us. See, when any of us are faced with the unknown, when we don't have all the answers, when things are, are rapidly changing around us and, and we're not super into a lot of those changes because, well, we, we're creatures of habit. In fact, I mentioned this in the first week of this series. None of us like change. We, we, we all would prefer that things would stay the way that they were, particularly if we're of the opinion that the old way of doing things is just fine. Change is, is uncomfortable. It's, it's unsettling. Ch- change brings, brings fear to the surface that we didn't even know existed. 
I mean, we, we find ourselves getting fired up about issues that we previously, we didn't even think that we had an opinion on. And, and in these types of environments, when, when we are unsure of the future, when, when we don't have all the answers, when, when what we've held so dearly is being loosened, with really any change at all, every single one of us, we have a choice to make. See, we can fill the gap with suspicion. Now, this is what I've kind of been alluding to at the front of this message. This is what comes natural to every single human being on the planet. No, no, no matter how positive an outlook on life your mama might have gifted you, no, no, no matter how much time you spend in church, no, no, no matter how many times you sing to yourself, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day, left to our own devices, we drift towards suspicion. Doubt. Worst case scenario. Don't believe me? I will prove it to you. Parents of teenagers, if your son, if your daughter texts you and says that he or she got an offender bender on the way to school, what, what goes through your head? I mean, do, do you calmly think to yourself, you know, I bet it was just this perfect storm of of bad circumstances stacked against my child and there was literally nothing that he or she could have done to prevent it. Heck no. You jump to suspicion. You go, I bet he was texting. I bet she was messing around with the radio again. I guarantee that she was FaceTiming with her friend. I am never, never letting him drive again. You don't get that promotion at work. I mean, do you think to yourself, you know, now that I think of it, Randy, he really was more qualified. My boss, God bless him, he knows exactly what he is doing. Not a chance. You're going, Randy? Randy? Are you kidding me? He must have bribed someone. My, my boss, you know, I knew it. He has always had it out for me. This is just confirmation. You know what? I'm starting to think that, after all, maybe he is a racist. Sheesh. It's like that suspicion train got out of hand in a hurry. All you dating couples out there, and in fact, all you married couples, you think back to the days when you were still on the prowl, when he or she says that they're going to call you when they get home from work, but then they don't, what happens? Do you jump to, you know, I bet something really important came up. I guarantee there is a totally reasonable explanation to this. No way. He's a cheater. I freaking knew it. I mean, if she is going to put her job ahead of me, is this even a person I want to date? Is this even a person I should consider spending the rest of my life with? He better have a real good excuse. You start getting the head into it or we are done. D-O-N-E, done. In fact, he better be dead. I mean, shoot, even when you hear that the excuse was pretty solid and completely true and validated, because don't worry, you checked, you still ain't satisfied. The gap is being filled in real hard with suspicion with a capital S. Now, now we laugh, but, but come on, it's true. We all, every one of us, when we don't have all the answers, I mean, when there's any sort of pause that we get to fill in, we, we fill it with suspicion. Doubt, worst case scenario. But friends, church, boy, do I have some exciting news for all of you. There is a better way to live. See, in those moments, even those seasons of uncertainty, we can choose, it is a choice, rather than filling the gap with suspicion, we can fill it with trust. 
Now, if you think that maybe this sounds like fairy tale, it's not rooted in reality, it's impossible to actually live out, may I suggest to you that you either aren't as familiar with this guy who went by the name of Jesus as you might think, or perhaps you've been given a version of Jesus that is not completely accurate. In fact, in three of the four gospel accounts, the gospel accounts are those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus that we find at the beginning of the New Testament. It's kind of the second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in three of those four accounts, there's actually an interaction recorded for us between a guy named Jesus and another guy whom we come to commonly refer to as Matthew. Matthew, as we're actually going to read about here in just a second, he would come to be in Jesus' inner circle. He, he was one of the 12 disciples. He, he's one of these 12 guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus. And, and he's actually one of the authors of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, which I actually think is a big deal because he didn't hear about this stuff just by hearsay. He actually witnessed it firsthand. Now, maybe you've wondered to yourself before, I, I know I have, maybe, maybe you want to know like, how some of these guys got to spend all that time with Jesus during his time on earth. Like, how did they get chosen? How were they among those lucky 12? Well, for Matthew, it was maybe just being in the right place at the right time. Here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, his account, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Now, I've taught on this particular passage of scripture quite a few times, and I don't want to camp out here for too long this morning, but this would have been shocking to all of the onlookers there in the first century. To say that tax collectors had a bad reputation in the first century, that would be a gross understatement. Because see, the system of taxation that the Roman government set up was ripe for corruption. Rather than sending out their own people into these provinces and these regions to collect taxes, what they would instead do is they would sell the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder for people who were already living in those areas. And, and so long as they got their cut, their allocation, they could have cared less if these tax collectors, these people who won this right, they went out and they collected more than they needed. If they invented new taxes altogether and they were protected by the Roman government. And so these tax collectors, they started throwing additions on their houses. They're getting new camels and they're getting new donkeys. And everyone's looking around going, I paid for that. It's because you're exploiting me that you're able to afford any of that. They, they quickly became some of the most hated people in any given community. If there would have been a disciple fantasy draft being held back in that day, I can assure you that tax collectors would have went undrafted. Nobody's taken a flyer out on them in like the eighth round. In so many ways, they were public enemy number one. It's like, seriously, Jesus, what are you up to? Don't worry, it gets so much worse. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Not only has Jesus asked one of these traitors to be one of his followers, now he's actually hanging out in a house with a whole bunch of them. This would be like the family in the neighborhood who never mows their lawn. They have like little tykes, cars all over their yard. They have abandoned vehicles in their yard. They're constantly yelling at each other for everyone to see. It's like there's always this suspicion of domestic violence, cigarette butts everywhere. They keep their Halloween decorations up year round. And then you hear that that family, they all tested positive for COVID. And on that one day of the year where there's like the neighborhood yard sale and everybody's out and about, you can see all of your neighbors, you, along with your entire family, you go marching through the front door of their house for dinner. Now everyone else in your neighborhood kind of thinks of you in the exact same way that they think of that family. You have successfully fused in with the neighborhood pariahs. Everyone is judging Jesus really, really hard right now. His public approval rating is plummeting 
at an unprecedented rate. Now, when, when the Pharisees, these religious leaders, saw this, they couldn't contain themselves. They asked his disciples, why? Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now, now, now this sounds, when we read this, it sounds absolutely brutal, and it's so incredibly insensitive. But, but it is precisely what every single person who is watching this go down is thinking. The, the, the most religious people in that society are simply saying out loud what everyone else is wondering internally. The, the Pharisees, the religious elite, are, are doing what comes natural to every single one of us. What, what we've all done thousands of times over and over again, they're filling the gap with suspicion. But Jesus, known for his boldness, known for his willingness to have a tough conversation or two, he replies to the Pharisees and subsequently everyone else's internal thoughts with this. When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Which for a split second, the tax collectors and all the other you know, disreputable sinners, they lean and they go, dang right, somebody's sticking up for us. And they go, wait a minute, are you calling us sick? And Jesus is like, you are tax collectors. They're like, oh yeah. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus is going, I could honestly care less about your religious acts. I care a whole lot more about how you treat people. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know, know they are sinners. J- Jesus is going, I have not come down to earth to pander to people who already think that they have it all together. I, I-, I have come to earth to save those people who have a sneaking suspicion that something is missing. People who have attempted to fill that God-shaped void in their lives with other junk and have figured out that it all falls short. And and y'all, this was not some one-off occasion for Jesus. I mean, read these gospel accounts. Read these biographical accounts of the life of Jesus for yourself. This is how, and more importantly, who Jesus spent his time with during his three-year ministry on earth. He actually seemed entirely disinterested in spending his time with those who felt like they had their lives together. Instead, he chose to invest his time with tax collectors and fishermen and prostitutes and cheats, people who wore their sin and their problems on their sleeves. Now, now the question that you really got to ask yourself as you think about this, as you think about, okay, Jesus, who are you spending your time with is, is, isn't this risky? Isn't it risky investing your time with people who have a propensity to continually make the wrong choice? I mean, Jesus, come on, just think about it practically. Won't it be detrimental to your reputation? Aren't you, Jesus, kind of setting yourself up to be burned, to be made to look like a fool, for for, for people to be able to point the finger at you and say, I told you so? Of course. But, but, but y'all, what Jesus does here with Matthew and these other tax collectors is a foreshadowing and a microcosm of what he has done for every single one of us watching and listening today. This story isolated in and of itself, there's so much power. There is so much that we can take away. But when we view it in the greater context of what Christ did on a cross for every single one of us, it takes on an entirely new meaning. 
I, I bring this verse up all the time, and I'm not embarrassed that I keep coming back to it because I absolutely believe that these are some of the kindest, sweetest words that you will ever hear. But God, but God, he showed. He didn't just talk about it. He demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. And here's the key phrase, while we were still sinners. Jesus started hanging out with Matthew and his dirtbag tax collector buddies when they were still hustling, when they were still grinding and cheating their neighbors and their friends out of money. Jesus did not come strolling up to Matthew's tax collector booth and say, okay, listen, Matthew, listen up. I am a super big deal. And and, and hanging out with me, Matthew, I'm just telling you, it's going to be really, really good for you. But but you're you're a tax collector. And everyone, as as you know, they, they hate you. And for obvious reasons, I can't really be seen with you. So what I need is this. I I need you to kind of throw this this cheating way of life to the side, get your reputation together, prove to everyone that you're not a dirtbag anymore, prove to everyone that this is sincere, and then we can start hanging out, okay? Like, let's give it to some time. I'll I'll be back in about six months. No, No, before Matthew makes any sort of a commitment to change, before there's any change in behavior, Jesus just simply invites him to follow him. And in the exact same way, Jesus' death on the cross does not have a contract attached to it. The God of the universe, think about this, the God of the universe allowed himself to be nailed to a sinner's cross. He took the weight of the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, on his shoulders. He endured the wrath of God that was owed to us so that we might have that opportunity to be made right with him, to get that right standing back, something, by the way, that we have no ability to solve ourselves. And he did all of that while we were still sinners. It's not like before he hopped on the cross, he he addressed the crowd and said, listen, I don't want to do all this for nothing. Will you all please promise me that you're actually going to get your crud together? In fact, actually sign this contract real quick that you promise you're not lying. Hey, Peter, Peter, no crossing your fingers. When when, when Jesus called to Matthew at his tax collector booth and he invited him to follow him, when he went over to his place with his other tax collector buddies, and, and most importantly, when he died on a cross for a people, you and I very much included in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, he filled the gap of every one of our lives with trust. He filled the gap with trust for you. Jesus looks down on you, and he's choosing to trust that you will turn to him. That, that you will at some point give your life over to him. He's trusting that the giving of his life on a cross for you will be a demonstration as to just how much the God of the universe loves you and the great lengths that he has gone to to win you back. He's trusting that at some point you'll figure out what I and so many other people have figured out, that left to our own devices, we constantly fail. We constantly screw up. We, 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 we continually make decisions that not only hurt ourselves, but the people around us, that we have no ability to solve our sin problem on our own, and that we need, we need Jesus. See, if if the God that we talk about here on Sunday mornings was a God that filled the gap with suspicion, doubt, worst case scenario, (laughs) 
fail. He would have never sacrificed himself on a cross for you so that you now have the opportunity to make right that relationship with him and spend eternity in his presence. But fortunately for us, he he looked down in your life and said, I am going to choose to fill the gap with trust. But, but, But Jesus, Jesus, isn't this a dangerous way to live? Aren't people gonna gonna take advantage of this? Aren't people, Jesus, aren't you worried that they're gonna take advantage of you? I mean, won't you get burned along the way? And Jesus is looking back going, yeah, all the time. In fact, it happened almost immediately. I mean, even his closest friends burned him on this. Peter, who's one of his closest buddies, he denies him three times that he ever even knew him before Jesus even dies. Judas, We've all heard of Judas. In fact, Judas has literally become a verb for what it means to take advantage of someone's trustworthiness in you and stab them in the back. Jesus died on a cross for the sins of all mankind, knowing that the vast majority of people for all of human history would reject him. But you know what Jesus would say to this? It is worth it. Jesus would have made that decision to die on a cross for you if it was just you. That is how much he loves you. Jesus is on a relentless quest to redeem sinners and rescue them from the imminent death that lays ahead for every single one of us. Even though Jesus knows people have and will continue to take advantage of the trust he places in each of us, I I honestly don't think he cares because he is obsessed with all who have turned to him and all who will give their lives to him in the future. Jesus, he, he filled the gap with trust for you and now asks you to trust him in return. And in fact, you can actually be a part of this story today. The God of the universe... For all of you listening, watching right now, he made the standard so simple. He said the way that you would be declared righteous, the way you would get that right standing back with me, the way that we will heal that relationship, it has nothing to do with what you've done, with what your past looks like. It has everything to do with faith, trust, belief. Do you believe that the God of the universe came down to earth and lived the life that you were supposed to live? but then gave himself on a cross and died the death and endured the wrath that was owed to you. But three days later, he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. And just like that, we now have that opportunity to get that right standing back. It's as simple, and I'm going to invite actually everyone right now to bow our heads. It's as simple as saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that, that I can't figure out my sin problem on my own. I believe that you came to this earth for me, that you died the death that was owed to me. You endured the wrath of God on your shoulders, but three days later, God, I believe you rose from the grave, that you conquered death. And as such, will you come into my life from this day forward? I want to live for you. Amen. We're told that just like that, we get that right standing back. Now, y'all, if this is what Christ has done for every single one of us, Shouldn't we do the same for others? Shouldn't we live our lives this way? 
Now, 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 similar to last week, if you don't call yourself a Jesus follower, you basically get to pick and choose whether you want to live this way. However, if you call yourself a Christian, this isn't so much a recommendation as it is a command. Every day, in fact, multiple times a day, you have the opportunity to live out this with the yous around you. But, but you ultimately have to choose to do this. Because as discussed, it's not natural. It's not as if upon giving your life to Jesus, you're suddenly cured of this propensity to drift towards suspicion and doubt. It is a choice that you make daily, multiple times a day. Will you choose to live this way? That the next time a coworker does what you feel to be a subpar job on a task that directly affects you at work, will, will you jump to, it's because he's lazy. It's because she's incompetent. It's because I knew it. They're pushing that hidden agenda. Or will you choose to fill the gap with trust and say there has to be a good reason why this turned out the way that it did? I'm going to figure out what that is. The next time that a change is made around this church and you don't really understand why, will you fill the gap with suspicion and doubt or will you pull your friend to the side or your spouse to the side after service and you'll start gossiping? Or will you say, no, I am going to choose to trust the leadership of this church and believe that they're not selfishly motivated, but instead they're making decisions that are best for those who are spiritually disconnected in our communities. When a friend puts up some political, emotionally charged post on social media, will you take the bait and reply, explaining why they are clearly wrong and you are clearly right? Or... Will you fill the gap with trust? Do nothing for the love, church. Let's stop contributing to the vitriol that we see on social media and believe. You know what? There have to be legitimate reasons that she believes what she is posting about, just like there are real reasons that I believe what I do. I am not going to allow this to negatively impact our relationship. The next time that God asks you to make a move completely by faith, Will you fill the gap with trust and you'll make the leap, even though you have no idea what hangs in the balance on the other side of that decision, trusting that God is for you. And whenever you doubt that, you need to look no further than the cross. Y'all, this is a daily habit, a daily behavior that we choose. Will you choose to live this way? And I can guarantee that when it comes to other people, not God, because in fact, when we trust God and we take those leaps of faith, you never regret it. And I will admit, there are plenty of times where I have made those leaps and the next day I'm going, what in the heck was that all about? But I inevitably look back six months later, a year later and go, oh my goodness, look at all the good that came from that. But when it comes to other people, as you choose to fill the gap with trust with other people, you will be taken advantage of. You will get burned. Don't get too low. You're in good company. This happened to Jesus constantly, but it will be worth it. It'll create healthier workplaces, healthier marriages, stronger relationships between teenagers and parents, better communities, stronger friendships. Your faith will grow in ways that you never thought possible. And most exciting, if those who call Grumlaw, if those who call Venture their church home get this right, It'll grab the attention of our community in a way that we have never seen. When you fill the gap with trust, when you truly live by faith in this way, it is so contagious. And even though you might not be sure if it's even possible for you, when you see this in other people, you inevitably want more of it for yourself. Dream with me here for just a second. Can you even imagine if we got this right? 
If every single one of us had stories like the one I told about that employee sticking up for me, if those type of stories were what marked this church, if those moments were actually incredibly commonplace, if we nipped suspicion and doubt in the butt and we replaced it with trust, if we as a faith community continually trusted God even and especially when we didn't have all the answers, Y'all, I think this church, it would be unstoppable. It wouldn't simply survive, it would thrive. And most important, a whole lot more people would want to know why we are choosing to live this way. Where does this faith, where does this confidence come from? And with that, we would have a whole lot more opportunity to point people back to Jesus, showing people their Savior, who filled the gap with trust for every one of us.